We're going to read from Psalm 119, verses 137 through 144. Psalm 119, 137 through 144 says, You are righteous, Lord, and your laws are right. The statutes you have laid down are righteous. They are fully trustworthy. My zeal wears me out for my enemies. Ignore your words. Your promises have been thoroughly tested, and your servant loves them. Though I am lowly and despised, I do not forget your precepts. Your righteousness is everlasting, and your law is true. Trouble and distress have come upon me, but your commands give me delight. Your statutes are always righteous. Give me understanding that I may live. Again, we see we're going through Psalm 119, all about the word of God, all about God's commands, his law. All those things are basically the same thing. And we see that in obeying God's commands, there's always blessing. So we need to make sure we're obeying. And we can obey through the power of the Holy Spirit, which we're going to talk about that today. I'm getting ahead of myself. So that's what the sermon will be about. But anyway, just always remember, get God's word into you and follow God's word and your life will be blessed. So we're going to sing some songs. First, let's pray the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's worship the Lord together.
in Braveheart said they may take our lives but they'll never take our freedom Richie Havens 1969 at Woodstock sang freedom freedom sometimes I feel like a motherless child Patrick Henry on March 23rd 1775 said give me liberty or give me death once a year on July 4th, we stop and pause as a nation to give thanks for our freedom. These are all examples of man's attempt to obtain or retain his freedom. This morning, I'd like to share God's version of liberty and freedom. we be reading from Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. Stand fast, therefore, in liberty, and with Christ has made us free, and do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. So how do we get that liberty and freedom? We see that in Matthew 26, verse 27 and 28. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. For this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. We're all bond servants in a slave market of sin. God shed his blood to make us free, to give us freedom and give us liberty. That's real freedom that a lot of people don't understand. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for the freedom that we have in you, the freedom that we have in your son through his shed blood. And we thank you, Lord, for that, and we praise his name. And it's in our precious name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.
Good morning. For all of those who are thankful to God for having the opportunity to take communion and praise God and have the freedom to do that, which a lot of people in the world don't, say praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Amen. Okay, for announcement, I just had to do that. I do praise the Lord for the, the freedom that we do have in our country, and it's just, he's just great. He is. Okay, we have our Matthew 25 ministry going, pill bottles. Um, so bring them in. Don't need lids. Just bring them and they'll use them. Okay, we have our recycles, um, our ink cartridges. Bring them in and we'll use them. Like I said, we get like $20 a month that we can use. Every little bit helps. Okay, food pantry on Wednesday or on Thursdays, excuse me, on Thursdays from 5 to 7. Um, it's going really good. And uh, um, on the last, I think it is last Thursday of the month, we usually have a food, uh, some kind of hot food going in where people can come and fellowship with their neighbors in the community. So that's going good too. Okay, refit Tuesdays and Thursdays at 6.30. Um, Kristen's not here today, but uh, you ought to hear it. They have a blast up here. I mean, everybody's woo. <laughs> so come and exercise. And it's for the men and women now. So we can really get some woos going on. Okay, Mellon Ridge is the fourth the fourth Sunday of the month, we go and we share a sermon with them. We share communion with them. We sing with them. They do like to sing, so that's good. And uh, just a little bit of fellowship with them, and they really seem to enjoy that. So come on out. Uh, it's in a couple of weeks, and share the fun. Okay, give back. Um, we have our offering box in the back. There's some envelopes, offering envelopes. If you want to put it in an envelope, uh, just give what God shares with you in your heart to give. Okay, next we have our weekly budget. I believe there's copies in the back if you want to see them, um, but they're up here on the board. So, and financial piece, it's a university. It's a class that... Chris and Kristen will be giving, and uh, you can sign up for it. It's uh, July the 11th through September 5th. Okay. And HCC Weekly Community Cookout. Uh, how'd that go Saturday? I had to work, so I didn't get to make it. Went pretty good? Awesome. So uh, getting some thumbs up everywhere. So, <laughs> Okay. Next Saturday, make sure you come. Okay, Goshen Ready Fest. We're getting the kids ready to, it's hard to believe we're in the middle of July and, or beginning of July, really, and starting to get those kids ready to go back to school. But we are responsible for um, color pencils and the little pouches that the pencils go in. So, um, but they give them all kinds of stuff, school supplies, haircuts, uh, food, you know, so we, we really get them ready and have a fun day uh, during the Goshen Fest. Okay, silence your phones, and Derek, we're looking forward to what you have to say today. Thank you, Carol. <clears throat> Before I get into uh, my sermon today, I want to give some recognition to folks who don't normally get any recognition, not that they want it, but 
So the slides and all this stuff, this stuff doesn't just appear on its own. The music is not just appear out of nowhere. People have to do, put a lot of hard work into that. And most of the time, the only time we recognize people with stuff like this is when they make a mistake, right? People on the stage, <laughs> they make a mistake, we want to tell them all about it. We need to spend a lot more time telling them how thankful we are that, that we have these things, that we have um, just the technology we have is incredible, and the things we're able to do. So I just want to say how much I appreciate everybody who is involved in in the um, in preparing for worship and all those things. I appreciate you all, and all of them aren't here. I would name them off, so next week I'm going to name everybody else. So there you go. But anyway, we're going to get into the sermon today. Um, so let's turn together in our Bibles to the book of Galatians. Galatians chapter 5, and Art and I did not speak at all about any of these verses, so he, he read his communion verse, and I had no idea what he was going to read. But we're going to be in Galatians 5, not exactly the same place, but towards the end of it. Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 through 18. Let's turn it together in our Bibles. And when you get there, please stand for the reading of God's Word. And the title of today's teaching is The Freedom of the Spirit-Led Life. The Freedom of the Spirit-Led Life. In Galatians 5, 13 through 18, the Scriptures say, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. You may be seated. How can we live in the freedom God wants us to live in? How can we live the way Jesus commands us to live? Where do we get the power to live the Christian life? Well, Paul answers those questions in today's passage by showing us what happens when we walk by or are led by the Holy Spirit. So today we'll talk about two things we're free to do when we live the Spirit-led life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the freedom we have to gather here today, to worship you and to hear from you through your word. And as we study your word together, give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that we may know you better. In Jesus' name, amen. So the first thing we're free to do when we live the Spirit-led life is we're free to avoid the desires of the flesh. In the first part of Galatians 5.13, Paul says, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Now, the Christian life is a call to walk by or be led by the Holy Spirit. It is a spirit-led life where we allow the Holy Spirit to direct our every decision. And this life is an abundant life where we're free in so many ways. When we're led by the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, we're free from the penalty from the practice and the power of sin. We're free from the condemnation of our past sins. We're free from the sting of death and the grave. We're free to live a different way of life. And in many other ways, the Spirit-led life is a call to freedom. But something we're not free to do when we're led by the Holy Spirit is, we're not free to indulge the flesh. Now, what does Paul mean by indulging the flesh? What does that actually look like? Well, in Galatians 5, 19 through 21, Paul says, The acts of the flesh are obvious. 
sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Indulging the flesh is indulging in sinful behaviors like the behaviors Paul mentions here. Living the spirit-led life does not give us the freedom to indulge in sin. You are not free to be sexually immoral, which means we're not free to indulge in any sexual relationship outside of marriage. Not fornication, nor adultery, nor the sins some in our society spent spent an entire month being so proud of. Sexual perversion, impurity, debauchery, and homosexuality. We're also not free to get mixed up in witchcraft or sorcery. And this not only includes all forms of magic, occult practices, fortune telling, and things like that. It also includes being rebellious by, by disobeying God's word. Listen to what the scriptures say in 1 Samuel 15, 22 through 23. Does the Lord take as much pleasure in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obedience to the voice of the Lord? Know this. To obey is better than sacrifice, and to pay attention is better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is the same as the sin of witchcraft, and arrogance is like having useless idols or consulting household gods. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you as king. So the freedom of the spirit-led life does not give us freedom to disobey God's word. Nor does it give us freedom to get drunk or to do drugs. And by the way, drugs are not necessarily mentioned. There's nowhere in the scripture where it says, don't do cocaine. It doesn't say that anywhere, right? But when Paul gives us this list, he says, and things like these. So things like being drunk are things like doing drugs. That's, That's included in it. We're not free to do that. And we're not free to be involved in wild parties. Nor are we free to indulge in hatred or jealousy or fits of rage or to be factious or divisive. So when you and I are led by the Holy Spirit, we cannot indulge in any of those kinds of behaviors. Why? Well, because those behaviors are not compatible with life in God's kingdom. Those behaviors are not compatible with the freedom of the Spirit-led life. And anyone who indulges in those types of behaviors will not inherit God's kingdom. Now, when we come back to today's passage in Galatians 5.15... Paul mentions another way people indulge or gratify the desires of the flesh. Paul says, if you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed or consumed by each other. Now, biting and devouring each other was one of the most popular sins among professing Christians in the early church. And it's still the same today. But what does it mean to bite and devour each other? Think about this. Paul is using this language to recall what animals do to each other. When the churches of Galatia, people had slipped in among them and sown discord among the brothers and sisters. They had divided Christ's church into different factions. And this led to jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, and disagreements that became so severe that they were attacking one another. Not physical attacks, but verbal attacks. And you've likely heard the old expression to bite someone's head off, right? You've heard that before? Well, that's what they were doing in Galatia, biting and devouring one another. So Paul says when they when they or we set up different factions in Christ's church and verbally attack others who disagree with us, well, we're not acting in love. 
We're not acting like Christ's sheep. Instead, we're acting like ferocious wolves who bite and devour each other. And when we engage in this type of behavior, well, we're in danger of consuming each other. In other words, if we divide Christ's church, we're in danger of not inheriting the kingdom of God. And it's time we start to take this a lot more seriously than we have been. That's a sober warning that we all need to take very seriously. Unity among God's people is extremely important to God. Way back in the days of Solomon, he told us how God feels about those who cause division in the church. In Proverbs 6.16, Solomon says this, There are six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies, and a person who stirs up conflict in the community. Now, the community here is the community of God's people. In the Old Testament, that was the people of Israel. In the New Testament, that community is the church, the body of Christ. And whether it was then or now, God's word about divisiveness still stands. God still feels the same way about those who are divisive. Anyone who causes division among God's people is detestable to God. Listen to that word again, detestable to God. That's very strong language, right? But it shows us how immensely important it is to God that his people live in unity. And at least one reason unity among God's people is so important is because Jesus said unity in the church is how the world would know that the Father sent him. In John 17, 20 through 21, as he prayed to the Father for his disciples, Jesus says this, My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I in you, may they also be be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Listen to this language. Jesus prays for the disciples and those who believe the disciples' message to all be one. And the type of oneness, the type of unity Jesus is talking about is the same unity Jesus has with his Father. Jesus prays that those who become a part of his church will all be one just as he and the Father are one. All of us united together in a self-sacrificing, loving relationship where we share the life of the divine Trinity. And this unity, listen, this unity is a visible unity. It's a unity that the world can see. And when the church is visibly united, it will draw the world to believe that Jesus is God's son. It will draw the world to believe that God sent him to be the savior of the world. In other words, the visible unity of the church shows the world the truth of the Christian message. Now, when we look around at the church world today, Do we see the type of unity Jesus asked his father to give us? Do we see a visible unity among those who profess to belong to Christ? It's not even close. And people have seen that, and they've tried to make this invisible unity. Oh, we're united, but we don't go to the same church. We can't be around those people, but we're united in Christ. It's utterly ridiculous, right? It's It's not what Jesus is talking about. Jesus says it's a visible unity that the world can see. Now, while we spent so much time on apologetics, apologetics are things trying to prove to the world that Jesus is the Son of God and that Christianity is the one true faith, 
While we spent so much time on that, we lack the one thing that Jesus said would prove the truth of Christianity. See, when we don't live according to God's ways, we have to create other ways to try to bring people to God. But Jesus told us what the way is, to have the world know who, who Jesus is and know who God is. Professing Christians are more divided than ever in our country right now. And if we ever want the world to take the claims of Christ seriously, then God's word to the Galatians is something that the modern church needs to hear and obey. We've got to stop indulging the flesh by dividing the church. Stop being factious. Stop biting and devouring one another. And if we don't stop, well, the world will never know Christ, and we're going to end up destroying one another. But how can we stop being divisive? There's all these different ways people come up. Here, we can do this, this. Well, in Galatians 5, 16, Paul shows us how to stop giving in to that act of the flesh of being divisive and how to stop giving in to every other act of the flesh. He says, so I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Now, Paul's Greek here is very emphatic. He's saying, if you walk, if you are led by the Spirit, you will never gratify the desires of the flesh. In other words, it's impossible to gratify the desires of the flesh when we're following the Spirit's leadership. When we live the Spirit-led life, we will never gratify the desires of the flesh. And in Galatians 5.17, Paul tells us why this is true. He says, For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit desires what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. Did you know that the Holy Spirit has desires? But that's what Paul says. The Holy Spirit desires what is contrary to the flesh. And the Greek word Paul uses for desires means a very strong desire, a longing for something. And do you know what the Holy Spirit longs for? He longs to give you and me the power to live out the Christian life. The Spirit longs to form the character of Christ in each and every one of us. The Spirit longs to enable us to do what God wants us to do and to avoid doing what God does not want us to do, to avoid doing what we want to do. See, that's Paul's point here. When we live the Spirit-led life, the Holy Spirit keeps us from doing whatever we would want to do if we did not have the Spirit of God living inside of us. The Holy Spirit keeps us from living like we once did when we were controlled by our corrupt human nature. The flesh and the spirit are complete opposites. They're like good and evil, light and darkness, east and west, complete opposites that cannot be brought together. But here's an important question. Which one of those is stronger? Is the flesh stronger or is the spirit stronger? Well, according to Paul, if we walk by the spirit, we will never gratify the desires of the flesh. So then according to God's word, which is stronger? Is the flesh stronger or is the spirit stronger? Well, the Spirit of God is infinitely stronger than the flesh. So when we walk by the Spirit, when we allow ourselves to be led by the Holy Spirit, we'll never choose to sin. We will always choose righteousness. When we walk by the Holy Spirit, we'll never be controlled by sin's cravings. We'll always be controlled by the Spirit's promptings. We will fulfill the desires of the Spirit and not fulfill the desires of the flesh because the Holy Spirit will empower us to obey God. See, life in the Spirit is all about being led by the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit of God will never lead us to walk in sin, will never lead us to walk in darkness. And if we're being led into sin, then we can be absolutely sure that we're not being led 
by the Holy Spirit. So you got a bunch of churches around they're starting to accept homosexuality as, as okay behavior, right? Are those people being led by the Holy Spirit? Well, if God's word is true, then absolutely not. They're not being led by the Holy Spirit. Those people that go to churches like that, they're being led into sin, and they cannot be being led by the Holy Spirit. Because the Spirit of God will only and always lead us to live righteous, holy, and godly lives, and that will always line up with the word of God. Lives where we bear the fruit of the Spirit, where we love God and we love others. Lives where we have peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Lives where we're patient, kind, and good, not only to our friends, but also to our enemies. Lives where we're faithful to God and to one another. Gentle in our relationships with one another. And self-controlled in our speech and in our actions. When we walk by the Holy Spirit, those fruits will characterize our lives. When we live the spirit-led life, we're, we're not free to indulge the flesh. Instead, we're free to do something else. And that, that leads us to the second thing that we're free to do when we live the spirit-led life. We're free to serve others humbly in love. Now, in Galatians 5.13, Paul says, instead of using your freedom in Christ to indulge the flesh, use that freedom to serve one another humbly in love. Now, the Greek word Paul uses for serve here, it means to do the duties of a slave for someone. When we live the spirit-led life, he will lead us to humble ourselves and do the duties of a slave for one another. To better understand what this means, let's look at one of the duties of a slave illustrated in something that Jesus did for his disciples. In John 13, John tells us that Jesus was with his disciples eating the Last Supper for the last time before Jesus was crucified. In John 13, 4, we pick up the story where John says that Jesus got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet. And depending on where you're from, it might be wash his disciples' feet. <laughs> Drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. So why would Jesus wash or wash his disciples' feet? Why would he do that? When John 13, 12 to 17, Jesus explains his actions. As John continues, when he had finished washing their feet, I almost said washing it, washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Now, was Jesus setting up foot washing as something everyone in the church should practice? As some have gone so far as to say foot washing is one of the sacraments. We put it right up there with baptism and communion. But Jesus was not setting up foot washing as a sacrament. Instead, Jesus was doing a humble, not so pleasant, but necessary daily task for his disciples to teach them how to serve one another humbly in love. So in the times of Jesus, people wore sandals, right? They walked on dirt roads. And they shared those roads with donkeys and other animals. 
So imagine what would accumulate on a person's feet as they went about their daily tasks. It's not going to be pretty, right? So foot washing was not a luxury. This is not a spa treatment that Jesus was giving to his disciples at this last supper. Now, people needed their feet washed. It was an absolute necessity. Now, most of the time, people would wash their own feet, but sometimes this job was done by a servant or a slave. So when Jesus washed his disciples' feet, he was doing the duties of a slave for them. Though he is their Lord and teacher, he voluntarily took the role of a humble servant to meet the needs of his disciples. And this is the example Jesus left for all of us, for all of his disciples to follow. As his servants, we are not above our Lord and teacher, although sometimes I think we we act as if we are, right? I'm not going to do that. Why would I do that? I'm better than that. Can't act like that. Jesus wasn't that way. We're not above our Lord and our teacher, but in all things we can and must become like our Lord and teacher. And our Lord, he humbled himself to serve others, and he teaches us to do the same. And when we live in the freedom of the spirit-filled life or spirit-led life, the Holy Spirit will lead us to serve one another in love just like Jesus did. Jesus sets us free from our sins and gives us the Holy Spirit so that, like him, we have the freedom to become voluntary slaves of others and show our love for others by humbly serving them. We become free in Christ so that we can become voluntary slaves of others. So when Jesus washed his disciples' feet, he gave us an unforgettable example of what Paul means in Galatians 5.13. So like Jesus, we should all serve one another humbly in love by doing whatever we can to meet one another's needs. And that should be the attitude of every follower of Christ. So let me ask you a question. Do we come to church to serve or to be served? Well, Jesus is among us as one who serves. As we go about our lives this week, Will we ask, what can I get or what can I give? Well, our our master will be among us asking the question, what can I give? And God wants all of his people to learn to stop focusing on our own interest, to lay down our own lives, and use the freedom that he gives us to serve one another humbly in love. And in Galatians 5.14, Paul tells us what happens when we do this. He says, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command— Love your neighbor as yourself. Serving one another humbly in love is one way that we obey the command to love our neighbor as ourselves. And by doing that, the whole law is fulfilled in us. Every command that God gives us regarding our relationships with one another another, in the Old Testament and in the New Testament have one goal. And it can be reduced down to this one command. We fulfill the whole law when we love our neighbor as ourselves. And this is the law of love, the new command that Jesus gave his disciples in John 13, 34 through 35. Here's what Jesus said. A new commandment I give you, love one another. Just as I have loved you, so also you are to love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love, if you have love for one another. So we've already seen that Jesus says the world will know that God sent Jesus by our unity with one another in the church. But Jesus also says the world will know that we're his disciples, we're his followers when we love one another as he loved us. And how did he love us? Well, Jesus laid down his life for us so that we could have life in him. And we're to do the same. So when we use the freedom we have in the Holy Spirit to love one another humbly and love like 
like Jesus did for us, then the world will see that we love one another and, and that Christ lives in us. When we put the needs of others ahead of our own, we love like Jesus. And the command to love our neighbor as ourselves, the law of love is fulfilled in all of us. And the good thing about this is we're not left to obey this command on our own. When we submit to the leadership of the Holy Spirit and when we walk by the Spirit, He will empower us to love our neighbor as ourselves. He will empower us to serve one another humbly in love. And the law of love will be fulfilled in our lives. And this is why in Galatians 5.18, Paul says this, If you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Well, Paul's point here is the Spirit-led life has made going back under the law meaningless. To go under the law is to go backwards. Why is this? Well, because when we're led by the Holy Spirit, we will automatically fulfill the righteous requirements of the law. We'll do what the law could tell us to do, but that we never had the power to do. As Paul says in Romans 8, 1 through 4, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, and that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and concerning sin. He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So when we live a Spirit-led life, the Spirit accomplishes God's will in our lives, what the law could not do. The Holy Spirit empowers us to obey God in such a way that the righteous things that the law requires are being fulfilled in our lives. Think about what Jesus said, I did not come to destroy the law, I came to fulfill it. That's what he's talking about. He came, not that he would obey all the law, we don't have anything else to do with it, no. He came so that we are able now to obey the law that we couldn't do before because we have the Spirit of God. Jesus said that. He came to, not to abolish it, but to fulfill it. And he fulfills it in us when we get the Holy Spirit and walk in his laws. There's a, a passage in the Old Testament where it says, under the new covenant, that God would give us his Spirit give us a new heart, give us a spirit, and the spirit would move us to walk in his commands, walk in his laws. That's exactly what the Holy Spirit does. So when we walk and we're led by the spirit, we avoid what God wants us to avoid. We embrace what God wants us to embrace. We love God and we love others. And when we're led by the Holy Spirit, we'll do what the law requires. We'll live the righteous lives the law requires through the power of God. Now, as we close, let me ask you again. How can we live in the freedom God wants us to live in? How can we live the way Jesus commands us to live? Where do we get the power to live the Christian life? Well, the answer is the Holy Spirit. The third member of the Holy Trinity is the power behind the Christian life. And when we live the Spirit-led life, we'll live in freedom. We'll be free to avoid the desires of the flesh, including the most importantly, not being so divisive, not biting each other's heads off, but instead walking in the spirit and living in love and but we'll, ac we'll accept one another, bear with one another, we'll bear each other's burdens and we'll fulfill the law of Christ. We'll be free to serve one another humbly in love. We'll be free to obey all the commands of the Lord Jesus and to fulfill the whole law. We'll live holy lives and godly lives and live in righteousness, joy and peace in the Holy Spirit. 
That's what this whole thing is about. Living in righteousness, joy, and peace in the Holy Spirit. And we can only do that when we live the Spirit-led life. And that is the freedom of the Spirit-led life. Let's all stand for prayer. Father, we thank you for the freedom we have in the Lord Jesus to live for you. We've heard your word, and now we ask you to give us grace to put your word into practice. Empower us to live the Spirit-led life, free to avoid the desires of the flesh and to serve one another humbly in love. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing another song before they do that. I'm going to speak the Lord's blessing of you. May the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you his peace. In Jesus' name, amen. is well.